here's the thing. I really, I know some of you know that I like board games, but those aren't the only other kind of games I like. I like sports, too. I really enjoy sports, especially in Indiana this time of year. Uh, it may not be that great of a season for Indiana fans. Uh, Friday was rough. But being someone who just moved from Tennessee, yesterday was a lot of fun. And uh, sorry, Sue, I love you. I really do. I'm, but I had to cheer my balls on yesterday. Um, it's good to see you. Um, but I, I, it was one of those days where it's fun to watch basketball. It's fun to cheer on your team. It's fun to get excited about any of your teams when you're back in that team. Whenever you're excited about uh, uh, the, the, the event and the action, what's going on. But it's kind of funny. Our fandom kind of goes like this, right? When our team does really well, man, we played a great game today. We... As in, like, I was out there making those threes with them, you know. I really had nothing to do with it. But we talk in those kind of terms until they start to lose. And then we say, man, they just couldn't get it together today, could they? It's that they terminology. You know, we, we really like to, to hitch our wagon, hitch up to that team that's really doing well and being successful. And it's so much fun to cheer them on. And it's really fun when they win because we get to wear the colors proudly. And we get to kind of talk with excitement about what they've accomplished um, but when they don't do so well, it's a little different story. There's this team uh, a few years ago in 2008 in a different sport, not basketball, in football, the NFL. Uh, there was a team that did something no other team had ever done in NFL history. They successfully went 0-16. The Detroit Lions in 2008 were the first team ever to go 0 and 16. That means they won zero games and lost 16. That's all of their regular season games. No playoffs, no nothing. Very sad, depressing day. In fact, I got a picture of one of their fans right here. Yep, too embarrassed to show my face as a Lions fan, right? Now, other teams had gone without wins, but no other team had lost a full 16 games with this length of season that we have. And so it's kind of funny. We see these kind of jokes around somewhere. I'm still going to wear the colors. I'm still going to associate myself as a Lions fan, but I'm going to cover my face so that no one actually knows who I am as a Lions fan. It's kind of a joke in a way of teasing your team, laughing before everybody else can laugh, right? Now, 2008 was the first time it happened, but in 2016 it happened again. The uh, Cleveland Browns were the next in line. It may be a little hard to see this one, but this is a full body bag, a uh, full body sack that this person is wearing. And I know you may not be able to see it, but listed all down the front are the different quarterbacks they've had since 1999. That's a really long list of different uh, failed experiments that went on there, and the fans were just really disgruntled. In fact, there's a couple other pictures here just for fun. When, the question mark, when are we going to be good again? And then I like this next one, help, just help, right? It's kind of a laughing, funny thing, you know, the fans who are cheering against their team just as much as they are cheering for their team. Because when the team is doing bad, it's kind of that hide my face, I'm, I don't want to talk about it. It's kind of the same way I feel after the Patriots win a Super Bowl. Um, we, my family knows that in our house we cheer for two teams, the Colts and whoever the Patriots are playing that week. And so whenever this, the Patriots win a Super Bowl, I kind of do my best to avoid all news media for at least two, three weeks. Just try to avoid all of it. I don't want to have a conversation about it. I don't want to, like, whenever something really bad like that happens, you just want to stay away from it because it just makes you, ugh, feel so crummy to talk about. I'm just going to hide away. I'm going to cover my face. I'm going to stay away from the conversation. And in sports, it's kind of a funny conversation, right? We can laugh about it, and it's funny, and it's entertaining because it's all in fun. It's just entertainment. It's just silly pastime stuff. But when it comes to real life, we have a tendency to do the same thing, right? 
in real life, whenever we're embarrassed about something or we don't want to be associated with it or maybe there's something that we're particularly ashamed of or something that we're trying to keep to ourselves, we hide in different ways. It may not be a paper bag over the face, but we cover up in shame and hide. We started last week, if you missed out, we started a new series called The Sickness. And this all stems from this idea of looking at the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis where God has created this good world, a world that he describes as good. Everything in it is good. He finishes creating something and he uses this term, it is good or it is very good. And he establishes this definition of good is something as I intended it to be. Everything is established and set up in the way I intended it to be. And the problem is, in chapter 3, as we looked last week, man makes a decision. Adam and Eve, they make this decision, and they sin. They do the one thing God's asked them not to do, and they now take this definition of good and evil, and they decide for themselves what's best for them. And by deciding in this moment what's best for them, they break this relationship, and sin enters the world. And we talked about this infection of evil into our world. And that the fact is, sometimes... We define evil by all these awful, heinous things, but the subtleties of evil in our lives are sometimes symptoms that are harder to identify. And so this morning, we're going to start to talk about one of those first symptoms that starts to sink in in the book of Genesis and what it starts to look like when Adam and Eve feel that shame and start to cover up. But before we get into God's word and really have that conversation, let's bow and have a word of prayer. Father, I love you. Father, I'm so thankful for your people. I'm thankful for an opportunity to be in this place and to worship you and to lift your name up and to sing what a beautiful name it is, what a powerful name it is. And this morning, Father, we recognize and understand that as we start to talk about the evil that exists in the world, we know that you've provided us a way out. And we're working our way to Easter so that we can celebrate the cure and the treatment that you've offered to this sickness that's in our lives. But Father, before we dive into your word, we recognize that on our own, we are powerless to understand, we are powerless to, uh, to grasp what it is you're doing. And, and Father, without you, we are powerless to accomplish anything in our lives, including eradicating this evil. And so Father, as we talk about it, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the evil and the brokenness that still exists in our life so that we can continue to grow and draw closer to you. Father, I pray that you would give us the strength and wisdom not only to identify it, but to do what needs to be done to accomplish what it is you're trying to do in our hearts, the surrender or whatever sacrifices we need to make to turn our eyes to you. But Father, most importantly this morning, I just pray that you would help us to hear your word, to understand the heart of what it is you were trying to communicate to us, and Father, to help us grow this morning. We love you, and I just pray that you'd help me to step out of the way, and that Father, you would take this time and just use me and to communicate what it is you want us to hear this morning. I love you. It's the name of Jesus. I pray all these things. Amen. So go ahead and and turn over. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're mostly going to be hanging out here. And just a quick recap. I kind of know, I know I said this already, but God has created everything. It is good at this point, right? Up to this point, chapters 1 and 2, God has created the heavens and the earth. He's created the stars and the moon and the sun and all the birds and all the animals and mankind. The only thing he said that wasn't good was that man shouldn't be alone, right? He has said that it's not good for man to be alone, and therefore he creates a suitable helper. And so God provides this gift in Eve, this woman who now is going to be bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The two have come, to, come together. What was, now, what was before two have now become one flesh. 
this man and this wife here in this garden. And God has said, the only thing I'm telling you not to do is don't eat from that tree. I'm giving you all these other plants. I'm giving you all the other trees. I'm giving you dominion and rule over all of this that I've established. I'm handing it over to you. Just don't eat from this tree. And so picking up in chapter 3, here's what he says. I know we read some of this last week, but I think it's important for us to look at it again. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave gave, gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And that's where we're going to stop for right this moment. We'll pick up more later. God, at this point, right after that, God starts to dish out some punishment and some, some consequence to their actions. That's what we always talk about in our house. It's consequences to your actions. And the next little section there is God handing out consequences to what's going to happen because of what they've done. But I want us to take a moment to focus on what happens the moment they take this fruit. We talked about the temptation last week. This temptation is all of a sudden we have relied on God for everything. We've relied on God for direction. We've relied on God for our understanding of what is good and what is evil. We've relied on God completely for all things. And in this moment, the serpent tempts them by saying, you know, You don't need God. He's lying to you by saying you'll die. The serpent says, really, he's just trying to keep something from you. And ultimately, by taking this fruit, you'll be able to have what he has. You'll be able to gain something for yourself that will put you on the same level as him. And so that initial first temptation is to say, I'm going to take my trust off of God. I'm going to stop taking my answers from God in terms of what is right and wrong. I'm going to rely on myself and protect myself, and gain something for myself. And in this moment, the motivation of that sin and what they first choose to do breaks this relationship. And the first thing that happens is they recognize they are naked, and they cover themselves with leaves. Now, this is interesting, because if you stop and think about this for just a moment, I get it. Like, at initial reading, when you first just glance through it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because if any of us have ever had a bad dream that involves us walking into somewhere in our underwear or naked or something, it's mortifying, right? That's the the go-to bad dream, I showed up to school today without my clothes on, or whatever it was, you know? Like, that would be a horrifying situation for many of us. 
to show up in a place where all of a sudden we realize, oh my, I'm naked. Yes? We'd be very uncomfortable with this, I, I hope. I hope. <laughs> Just clarifying. All right. So, maybe not. Maybe it's not as scary of a thing as I thought it was. But, anyway, this idea of showing up somewhere naked and all of a sudden being like, oh my goodness, I didn't have clothes on, that is a frightening thought. And in this moment, it goes, oh yeah, it makes sense. All of a sudden, your eyes were open and you were naked and you wanted to cover up. But the reality of it is, who are they worried is going to see it? At this point, to the best of our knowledge, there's a serpent who's been here the whole time and has seen us at this point. We're standing in God's presence, or we've been in God's presence. We've been around God. God made us. God formed us. All of a sudden, we recognize that why would we hide from him? And the only other person in the garden, the only other person here to see my nakedness is my spouse. And, and again, the two shall become one flesh. I'll let you connect the dots there. But they have probably known each other pretty intimately already. Who are they hiding their nakedness from? Is it really shame at the fact that they're naked? Is it really? Because sometimes I think it's easy to read this and immediately go, oh yeah, that, that's, that's shameful to walk around naked. They shouldn't do that. And so they obviously wanted to cover themselves up because they now recognize that being naked is somehow evil or broken or wrong. And I'm not sure that's the case because in this moment there's not necessarily anyone to hide their nakedness from. But the reality of it is what is happening and what I think God wants us to understand by what's happening in this moment is that one, what was once safe... What was once open, what was once carefree, what was trusting, and what was safe. Now that I have this, my eyes open, and I now know that I have broken my relationship with God, I have done the one thing He asked me not to do, things somehow become not safe. Now I'm not sure I can trust as freely, even with some of the most intimate relationships in my life. Now, all of a sudden, I need to conceal, and I need to hide. I talk about, when I, when I do premarital counseling, I've done that several times, and I walk through things with couples that are looking to get married, and I've, I love having these conversations with um, several students in, that have grown up in my ministry or different people that have come to me and asked me to participate in that with them, and I love having those conversations about what marriage is, and I always come back to Genesis, and I always talk about this story because there's this beautiful picture of man standing before God, completely naked, completely innocent, with nothing to hide. There is complete trust. There is complete openness. There's nothing hidden. We all understand that we have faults and flaws. And when we look in the mirror, we probably, to some degree, most of us, feel uncomfortable with some particular aspect of ourselves. And it's kind of this physical picture of something much deeper. When we look at ourselves, we know we have faults. Faults. We know we have flaws. We know we have brokenness. We know we have different things that we want to conceal and we want to hide. And in a marriage relationship, there's this intimacy where there's kind of standing out there in the open, this nakedness that is to be okay, that is to be shared, that is created as something good that God gives us to be united as man and wife, as one flesh. That level of intimacy and complete kind of vulnerability is meant to signify something special in that relationship where there isn't anything hidden. There's nothing that stands between us. The two truly become one. And when we think about it in that light, when we start to recognize that's what it's supposed to be, we understand and know that in a lot of marriages that's just not true. There's still secrets. There's still shame. There's still hiding. There's still brokenness. 
And a lot of that stems from right here in this moment. In this moment, the only person who's really around genuinely to see the nakedness of the other, the only one there is to hide anything from is their own spouse and God himself. And we see that as we read that passage, they hide from both. First, they cover themselves up hiding and concealing things from one another, and then they hide in the bushes when God starts to come through the garden. And it says they're intentionally hiding from God. All of a sudden, I trusted God with everything, but now that my eyes are open, I I feel like I have to trust myself. I feel like I'm going to hide because God no longer seems safe. We're going to talk more about some of the things that that come with that, that finger pointing that they do a little bit later on when God confronts them and he says, hey, you know, why did you eat from that tree? How did you know you were naked? Why did you do this? And they start to point the finger and blame one another. We're going to start to talk about that a little bit more next week, and we'll dive into that and Cain and Abel and some of the stuff that happens in that story. But in this moment, I want to focus on this fact that they're covering themselves and hiding themselves from God. I no longer feel safe or like I can trust you because, and I think the beauty, uh, or the, not the beauty necessarily, but the brokenness and the real peace that helps us understand what's going on here is they recognize that other people aren't trustworthy because they themselves aren't trustworthy. If you think about it for a minute, who just messed up? Adam and Eve. God didn't mess up. God didn't let them down, but they let themselves down. They let each other down. They let God down. They broke the relationship. They made a decision that was wrong, and now all of a sudden, they're the ones concealing like, the, like God or, or their own spouse isn't trustworthy. And they're covering up and concealing and hiding things from one another. And I think if we really stop and think about it, it's true. Whenever I really find it difficult to trust someone else, if I'm really honest with myself, it's because I've seen other people fail, right? I've seen other people fall short. I've seen other people let folks down. Or I myself am not trustworthy and have let people down. And therefore, because I know my own brokenness, I know other people's brokenness, I'm just going to assume that you are broken and not trustworthy either. And therefore, when sin enters the world, it not only breaks this relationship with God, it starts to drive wedges and break the relationship we have with other people around us. Even the people who are supposed to be closest to us and supposed to be the most trustworthy in our life, we start to distance ourselves and go, how much can I truly trust you with? How much can I really be vulnerable and open with you? How can I really trust that it's all going to be okay and safe? And therefore, we kind of keep a safe distance just in case. And the reality of it is sin starts to infect by breaking that trust and that relationship. Making things not safe. Tearing down what love is supposed to produce and provide. What grace and truth are supposed to accomplish in relationship. It starts to drive a wedge and starts to deteriorate and starts to break that down. And there's many ways we start to be untrusting. So let's ask this. We live in a culture in a day where there's a lot of this untrusting kind of atmosphere. For example, one of the big pieces in the news all the time is how we feel about our private information being shared across the internet. I just found out that Facebook is selling all of my information over here, and so now people can call me or find out about me or learn about me or get my 
statistics and information, or this company is selling off my information over here, or this company is watching everything I do, and all of a sudden now they're trying to market to me, because the moment I Google search this over here, all of a sudden all of my ads start to reflect that Google search I just made, and all of us kind of go, that's creepy. Have you ever had that moment where you were having a conversation? You didn't Google search it, but you were just having a conversation somewhere near one of these things, and all of a sudden the next time you get on the computer, it starts putting up advertisements about what you were talking about? Gets creepy, right? All of us are afraid of what people have on us, what information they have about us, who's selling what to who, and what can people learn about me. And it's creepy because we're private people, and it makes us nervous. For me, I go, yeah, i got to hit this user agreement and say, I agree, I accept, I'm cool with this if I want to use this product. And since I want to use this product, hey, I'll sign my life away. Cool. Because what do I have to hide, right? (laughs) I'm not saying that makes me perfect, but I'm saying... Some of us get really antsy, and I always am baffled by why we would worry about it if we have nothing to hide. But the reality and the truth is we all have something to hide. We all have something to keep secret. We all have some form of shame or mistrust in other people, and we oftentimes assume the worst in others because time and time again, people have proven themselves to be untrustworthy. You know normally I don't have notes, but I actually jotted down a couple things here because I knew I'd forget some of them. So... Don't tr- we don't trust people with our secrets. You ever notice that you have something going on, you're like, man, this is kind of a heavy thing, but I would hate for word to get out. Who can I really trust? We might have one or two people we feel like we can talk to and let know about this heavy, serious thing that's going on in my life, but I want to be really careful and clear. Don't share this with anybody. I really need you to keep it quiet. We don't trust other people with our private information, our private lives, the things that are happening because we're afraid of what others might think. We're afraid that we might get around, uh, get around and people will start to think less of us. And therefore, we only trust certain people who have proven themselves trustworthy. And even they let us down sometimes. And sometimes we think the church should be a safe place. Maybe I could share this as a, I really need you to pray for me. And hopefully, praying actually happens. But we all have heard it. We've all seen it where... In reality, what happens is people are huddled in the corner saying, hey, man, you really need to be praying for so-and-so. You'll never believe what's going on in their world. And there's this big, long, lengthy conversation with a lot of speculation that never has a moment of prayer involved in the conversation. We call it prayer requests, but really, oftentimes, it just looks like church gossip. And we wonder why we can't trust each other with our private lives. We wonder why we can't open up and share and be honest. Because in reality, we just have heard it time and time again. We've had those conversations with other people where they've told us about somebody else's business, and therefore it doesn't feel safe to share mine with them. And we keep things concealed, and we keep things private. I think one of the other ways is we conceal our own shortcomings. Not just just the heavy stuff, the private things that are going on in our life, but our own sin, our own weaknesses, our own feelings of inadequacy. I just don't feel like I can share those because someone's going to view that as weakness, and they're going to use that against me. They're going to find some way to tear me down. They're going to find some way to make fun of me and make me feel even smaller. And therefore, I just don't feel safe. Like, I can trust other people. And therefore, I just withdraw myself just a little bit more because I don't feel like I can share that weakness. In some of our lives, it's, I don't trust other people to get things done. Therefore, I don't give them stuff to do. You know what? It's just a lot easier if I do this myself. You're just going to do it wrong anyway. Your definition of good is not the same as my definition of good, and therefore, if I want it done right, I just need to do it myself. And therefore, it's just one more way. I say, no, no, I'm good. I'll take care of it. Don't you worry about it. You just do your thing, and I'll do mine. 
And therefore, we don't really pass down any information. We don't help other people grow. We don't help other people get better at things. We don't help them to learn because we've never let them make mistakes. We've never let them grow, especially when it comes to parenting and kids and some of the things we do. It's like, just, it's easier for you to just get out of the way and let me sweep because you're just doing it wrong. And therefore, the kid goes, okay, I won't sweep. <sighs> Thanks. Appreciate it. You see that TV sitcom joke every once in a while. The guy will go, listen, if you do it bad enough the first time, she'll never let you do it again. It's true. Because if people don't meet our expectations of good, we don't trust them to do it right, and therefore it's easier to take it on ourselves. And then finally, there's that just, we look around and we see somebody and we have a conversation with them and their perspective is different than us. They had to have a different view, they have a different take on this topic in the world. They have a different perspective on what this passage of scripture means. They have a different perspective on this, that, or the other. And immediately we assume that because they have a differing perspective on this thing, their entire way of thinking, their entire way of doing is now broken. They're probably not trustworthy on any level because they're definitely not trustworthy on this topic, whether it's biblical or not. And it's easier just to write them off as someone who has a very different worldview than me, and it's easier just to say, no, I don't trust them. And we see that all over the place because everybody's got a you got that side of your agenda, I got this side of my agenda, you see the world this way, I see the world this way, and instead of trying to have a conversation where we understand each other's perspective, trying to build relationship, we just fight and argue and call each other names, and we dehumanize each other by saying, oh, you're just one of those lefties, or you're one of those right-wing nut jobs, or whatever kind of crazy terminology we can come up with to call each other bad names, and alienate and segregate and divide up lines to make each other the enemy, we do. And piece by piece by piece, evil sinks in, and as trust starts to erode, relationship, love, grace, compassion, forgiveness goes with it. We start to assume the worst in just about everybody because we don't feel like they're trustworthy. And a lot of that stems from the fact that we know we ourselves are not trustworthy. I just took from the fruit. I feel shame in what I did, but I'm going to conceal myself because if I'm not trustworthy, you're probably not trustworthy. And I'm going to start to conceal myself from you because I don't trust you to make good decisions because we both just made terrible decisions. And therefore, we cut ourselves off. And it's kind of like, you know, I always remember people talking as a kid. You wrap something around your hand, and my kids still do it. I don't know what the, the fascination is when you're little. You, like, play with a string, and all of a sudden you got it wound around your finger, and your finger's turning purple. And you're like, hey, look what I did. And you're like, your parents spaz out. Like, don't cut the, the circulation off to your finger. You can do serious damage to that limb, right? If people put on some sort of tourniquet, it's really bad for the limb. If blood flow stops, things shrivel up and die. And I really think that's what's going on here is sin and is evil enter into this picture. It's driving these wedges of mistrust between people. And all of a sudden, the love, the compassion, the grace, the relationship starts to shrivel up and die. And like we talked about a few weeks ago, it's so much easier for me to just live in my isolated community and trust me and maybe trust those closest to me and just keep it that way. I have a good friend named Spencer. He lives in Tennessee. We're, we worked together for a while. He's one of my best friends, and I still communicate with him regularly, and we talk a lot. And I remember one of our first disagreements. Spencer's about 10 years younger than me, and he was coming into ministry for the first time. And I had been doing it for a while, so I was trying to help him along, and we'd have some conversations. And Spencer's a pretty confident guy. He's pretty confident in himself, so it was fun whenever we'd have a little debate. He wouldn't back down or, 
or think that my 10 years on him had any kind of weight in the conversation at all, which was fun. And so that's part of the reason we got along so well. And we'd have these little debates and conversations. And I remember one of the first ones that we ever disagreed on. I was talking about students, and, and I said, my philosophy with students is this. I always tell them, I would always tell high school kids, listen, I trust you until you give me a reason not to. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to assume the best in you until you give me a reason not to. When you break that trust, when you do something stupid, when you prove that you're not trustworthy, then we'll talk because you've proven yourself untrustworthy. And Spencer's perspective and thought was, no, you just can't trust anybody. You just always got to assume the worst. You always got to not trust anybody. And we would kind of talk back and forth and debate through that. And the reality of it is we're both right. Scripture says this. Scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. There is no one in this world who is not affected by evil. We talked about that last week. From the mo- like God said, I'm not going to flood the earth again because man's heart is evil from youth. None of us are exempt from evil that works in our life. None of us are exempt from the brokenness that is going to cause us to let each other down. None of us. Therefore, Spencer's right. No one is trustworthy. God is the only one we can rely upon. In fact, Scripture says time and time again, don't trust in other people. Don't put your trust in other people. But we have to understand the subtle difference. It is one thing to trust our entire life and to put all of our hope and all of our everything into a person. That person will always let you down. That person will always fail you. That person will always fall short because they are not Jesus Christ. They are not God, and their ways and their understandings are not perfect. People will fail and people will fall. But to cut ourselves off from other people and to distrust in such a way where everyone has to be at arm's length and everyone has to be distant and there is no relationship among us is to miss the heart of what God desires in his people. To be restored not only to relationship with him, but to restore relationship with other people. Remember, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To trust God with your life again. Not to hide in the bushes and conceal ourselves from God, but to trust Him with what we have first. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And for us to be able to love in the way that Jesus loved, to love in the way that the scriptures call us to love other people, we have to be somewhat surrendered, humble, vulnerable. We have to be able to sacrifice and put ourselves out there just like Jesus did. And he said that all of the other law, all of the other commandments, all of everything hinges on these two things. And if God wants us to love others as we love ourselves, it's going to require some risk and some vulnerability And if we're just building up walls of mistrust and ways that I keep everybody at arm's length and ways that I conceal and cover myself up and keep everything to me and don't trust anybody with anything, it will just continue to erode and kill off relationship and it will shrivel and die. And with it, we become desensitized to the concerns and the needs of people around us. You know what? I'm not going to help that guy. He probably is just going to go spend that money on something selfish anyway. 
and again, we're desensitized and a little bit of our compassion and a little bit of our love and our empathy and our worry for mankind dies a little bit with it because I mistrust some other individual's intentions with the money or the help or the, the resources I may give them to get back on their feet and therefore I'll keep them at arm's length. You know what, I'm not going to trust this person over here in my church and you know what, they only want this agenda pushed through, they only want this thing to happen, and therefore they're not trustworthy, and you know, it's just easier for me not to tell them what's going on in my life, and I really don't care what's going on in their life, I'll just keep them at arm's length, and a little bit more of that erosion and the desensitization of the things that are going on relationship-wise starts to happen, and relationship continues to break down, and just like when we get that cold or that flu, that first symptom, that first cough starts to sink in. And we start to look like a really sick and broken people. And we might think that evil manifests itself in all the depravity and all the horrible things we see on the news. People shooting up places and killing mass numbers of people and streaming it live on Facebook. And it's easy for us to say that's evil. But it's really hard for us to recognize the evil we have in our own hearts when we just write people off because they're not trustworthy especially when a lot of it's based in the fact that I'm not trustworthy either. And because I know I'm not trustworthy, I assume you're not trustworthy. And it's easier if we just go our own way. And for us to lose that concern for other people and to seal ourselves off in mistrust and, and being untrusting people. Yeah, they're going to let us down. Just like we have let God down time and time and time and time again. We will fail each other. But if we just write one another off, Scripture says we'll be forgiven in the same ways that we forgive other people. And I really hate the idea of God just writing me off. Because I'm not willing to give anybody else a second chance, he's not willing to give me a second chance. That would be a really hard thing to hear, right? And so that little bit of sin and evil in our life starts to sink in, and it not only erodes the relationship we have with God, it erodes the relationship we have with other people, and the sickness sinks in just a little deeper. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to talk about exactly some of the other ways it takes root. And if the worship team wants to come back up, we're going to sing another song to kind of close out this morning. And if during that time you... We have a little bit of prayer and a song. If you want to come up and you want to pray over something, I'm here. We'd be happy to pray with you. Uh, if you've got something heavy that you're facing in your life and you just need prayer over that, we're here to pray over that. But this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question as we kind of come to a close. There's, there's a little bit of prayer. You'll notice it's still in the bulletin there. It's kind of written down as a prayer for you to pray this week to kind of wrestle with this topic. Is God, what is it? that I still am not trusting you with? Do I completely trust you with my life and with my everything? That's always the first question, the first step we have to take is, God, do I trust you with my life? But then after that, God, is there still ways that I'm keeping people at arm's length? There's ways that I'm not trusting others or thinking the worst of them or separating them out? How am I becoming desensitized and, and valuing people's lives less and less every day. God, what is it that you still want to work through in me to help bring me to a place where I can love in the way you loved and be vulnerable and open and humble in the ways that you were? Because I want good to prevail in my life. I want to be living in a life that is worthy of the sacrifice you made for me. And I know that's a refining process that's over time that takes steps and takes baby steps and God is patient and works with us. But the reality is, I can't start to get better if I don't recognize what's wrong. And so, God, how can you make it 
me aware of the sickness and the brokenness and the mistrust that still exists in my life? And how can you give me the boldness and courage to open up and start to trust other people and see them as valuable people who are created in your image and likeness and are loved by you? So if you would stand, and we're just going to pray. If you just want to pray over some of those things where you sit, that's great. If you need prayer, please come forward. If you just want to get to know Jesus because he sounds as wonderful as we all know he is and you want to talk more about who he is and how, what it looks like to follow him, please come talk to us. We'd love to introduce you. Let's pray. Father, I love you this morning. And I'm thankful for the ways that you are convicting my heart. Father, the ways that you've convicted me over the course of this week as I, pre- as I prepared for this morning. Father, I don't know what it is you're trying to speak in the lives of anyone else, but I know what you're saying to me. And Father, I pray that you just continue to convict me and help give me the strength to be, to be humble and to lay down those things that I've kept concealed and held onto and protected for so long. Father, I pray that you just continue to help all of us to let down our walls and to stop covering ourselves up in shame but to step out in faith knowing that you're in control and the only person that matters in our life, the only person whose worry and thought and view of us should matter is yours. Father, we spend so much time consumed with what others think. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage and boldness to take steps we need to to follow you and you only. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen.